Good morning. This is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast, and I'm your host, Philip Coover. I'm an attorney and partner with Ice Miller LLP. We're a national law firm, full-service law firm. I'm a partner in the Real Estate Practice Group. As you know, the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast is a national podcast that talks about real estate issues and brings together real estate brokers, owners, developers, lawyers to talk about uh, the law and the real estate. Today, we have a very special, very important topic. We have Spencer Levy, the uh, chairman of America's Research and Senior Economic Advisor at CBRE. I've seen Spencer speak many times before, but I thought he'd be perfect for us today to tell us how is the COVID-19 and the coronavirus um, going to affect commercial real estate over the next year. We have an eminent case of a recession. We have It's coming with us uh, at incredible speed. Washington Post had a really good article two days ago. I should I should say that we're recording this on March 18th, 2020, because a lot can happen between now and when somebody might listen to this one day, two days, a week from now. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of discussion right now about the health aspects and social distancing and flattening the curve. And we're not going to talk about that as much. Uh, what we're going to focus on is how is this global recession when the U.S. economy, which is 23% of the global economy, comes to a screeching halt, as well as uh, the economies in other countries being impacted. We know as of today that Chicago is pretty much shut down, San Francisco is shut down, Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey, a large part of America is shut down. And how is that going to affect uh, commercial real estate specifically, since that's the focus of this podcast, but also just on a macroeconomic level, this recession and this halt to the uh, typical economy that we have. Um, in the past few days, we've seen Pritz, Governor Pritzker, I'm in Chicago, issued a ban on going to restaurants and bars. The Fed has cut its interest rate in an emergency meeting on Sunday, the 15th to almost zero. There's a potential natural, national shutdown looming. Uh, retail stores have announced closures, Apple, Nike, Urban Outfitters, Abercrombie and & Fitch, and many others. And so when you have an immediate drop in sales, you're going to have, a, one, there's going to be a rise in unemployment. Um, there's also going to be a dramatic shift in consumer demand. Obviously, people won't be buying stuff in the immediate future, but how is this going to affect us psychologically over the next three, six months, year are we all going to gather for experiences, which experiences have been what's been the Band-Aid holding together retail real estate over the past three years? And, you know, how is this going to affect co-working? Is WeWork going to be out of business? Is people aren't going to want to co-work anymore? Um, you know, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to ask Spencer these questions. Spencer is a former uh, lawyer, former Harvard Law grad, uh, but he's one of the top economists at CBRE. CBRE is one of the biggest real estate companies in the world. And what we're going to do is we're going to have Spencer tell us the answers to or his predictions to what is going to happen over the next three, six months. How can we prepare ourselves? And so before we get into that discussion, I just want to thank you all for being here. I want to tell you to keep this conversation going. I think it's important for us to continue to talk, even though we're working remotely. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is philip.coover at icemiller.com. You are welcome to email me if you have a topic that you want to discuss, if you just uh, need someone to talk about real estate issues with. And also just on a personal note, you know, I, th I think that what 
it's important for us to keep this discussion going because typically in times of tragedy, the medicine or the antidote to that tragedy is to gather it is community. But the real evil of this situation is that we're prohibited from gathering. And so, you know, I've spent the past two years thinking social media and our technology has really made us all full of anxiety and unhappy. But the irony of it is that social media and technology is what's going to be the only way that we can keep in touch over the next uh, short period of time, hopefully. And then, you know, just on another personal note, before we get into this, I just want to say thank you to all of the delivery truck drivers, the people in logistics, the people at grocery stores, the firemen, the police, the policemen, the garbage men, the judges uh, in criminal courts, keeping the, our judicial system going, the FedEx workers, the postal workers, the water and sanitation services, all those essential services that are maintaining that is keeping this country and the world moving along, even in these times. Coming up next, Spencer Levy with uh, CBRE. One quick note, please bear with us if there are some audio difficulties. We are recording these podcasts remotely due to current circumstances, and so we appreciate you understanding if it cuts in and out a little bit as uh, we are using technology to record this across the country. Thanks so much. Good morning. This is the Real Safer Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Phil Coover. Today we have with us Spencer Levy from CBRE. He's a chairman, America's Research and Senior Economic Advisor. Spencer, thank you very much for coming on the show. Phil, thank you very much for having me. Spencer, tell us a little bit about uh, your role at CBRE and as that will lead you up to tie into our discussion today about COVID-19 and the impact on the commercial real estate market. Sure. Well, I've been with CBRE for 13 years. I've been in the industry for 25, had a variety of roles, started off as a lawyer, then I was an investment banker, and then I've had a variety of roles at CBRE, helping lead capital markets and then helping lead research for the last five years. Last couple of years as uh, the essentially the chief spokesman for the company on real estate matters in the Americas. I will give a shout out to Ice Miller because uh, as a real estate lawyer myself, and as a young lawyer, my dad was a partner at uh, Robinson Silverman, Brian Cave. And one of the firms he had mentioned to me back then was Ice Miller as a great real estate firm. And I'm sure that it still is. So delighted to be speaking with you today. Oh, that, that was a fantastic plug, Spencer. I appreciate it. Um, so, Spencer, I, I've seen you give presentations before. And you're you know, an, an amazing economic advisor and resource. And we wanted to have you come on the show today to talk about COVID-19 and its impact on the commercial real estate market. Just to set the stage a little bit, we are recording this on March 18th, which I should mention because this situation is fluid. And even since I recorded an intro yesterday, but since I recorded the intro, Las Vegas announced that it was shuttering its doors for 30 days. So as of today, when we're recording uh, for our listeners who may not hear this for the next few days or you know, listen to this a few weeks down the road, uh, the Fed has cut its interest rate to almost zero. Gov I'm in Chicago. Governor Pritzker has put a ban on all the restaurants and bars and their shutter in place orders starting in San Francisco and going to effect across the country. And so with that as the stage, you know, Spencer, tell us about how you see COVID-19 affecting macroeconomics in general around the world and, and more specifically to our real estate podcast, the commercial real estate market? Sure. Well, Phil, very challenging situation, unprecedented in many ways. And the 
macro story is this. We have taken a look at the material impact that this current situation has on the global economy, the Chinese economy, the U.S. economy. And the short story is that we have materially downgraded our growth expectations globally. We have materially downgraded our growth expectations for the United States. Uh, our growth expectations globally have been cut in half. The United States is likely to have negative growth, about 1% negative in the first quarter. The second quarter, though, is going to be very, very, very difficult. We estimate negative GDP growth in the second quarter at negative 6%. There are some noted commentators who are even more pessimistic than that. So the bad news on the headline is this terrible headwind that we've run into, which has caused demand to completely dry up in the areas such as travel, hotels, airplanes, but now has bled into our industry terribly in hotels, retail, uh, and elsewhere. And so I'm recording this very call from my home office in Owings Mills, Maryland, because neither I nor my colleagues can go into the office. So clearly it's impacting the office sector as well. So how is it going to impact our business? Well, putting aside the macro headwinds, I have been tracking on behalf of CBRE data surveys on a real-time basis. And when I say on a real-time basis, as close as you can get to that. So CBRE has a couple of different ways to track real-time market activity. Number one, we have an in-house source called DealFlow, where I can track deals that are happening live, both in terms of deals being launched and also confidentiality agreements being signed by potential bidders. We also just did a survey of 650. Well, we had 650 survey responses from all of our investment properties and DSF professionals, which we received yesterday at noon. So this is brand new information. The short story is that in the short term, in the immediate term, we have seen a material fall off, both in new deals coming to the market and in confidentiality agreements being signed meaning that we have less sellers and less buyers. That's the bad news. The good news, I suppose, is that most deals that are under contract are still moving forward under the agreed upon terms. Now, have we seen a material increase in asks for repricing or what some people might call retrades? We have. And 50% of our colleagues have suggested that buyers have asked for some form of repricing. Now, most of these are for less than 5%, though there are many that are larger than that. Uh, but I will tell you that I've been tracking repricing during market dis disruptions very closely for the last 10 years, including two studies that I did, one in 2013, one in 2017 in connection with interest rate spikes. And not dissimilar to today's situations, there were a lot of asks for retrades, but not a lot were given. In those instances, about 10% of all deals were retraded, and most of those retrades were for less than 3% of the total value. So the spot market is weakening rapidly, but the deals that are in market are still moving forward. Where we're seeing most of the distress right now is in the debt and structured finance market, where I could not make that same claim, where I've seen more lenders institute the MAC clause, material adverse change clause, in the last 48 hours than I have probably in the last 10 years combined. Wow. So we've seen several lenders refuse to honor their loan commitments. Uh, several refusing to close, several not quoting. That's the bad news. The good news is we have many more lenders that are still in the market 
and we are getting live quotes as we speak because I watch them come in almost one at a time on my computer screen. So the debt capital markets, while they have been hit with a massive shock, are still open. They are deep. They are liquid. And particularly in the multifamily space where Fannie and Freddie are pulling out all the stops. In the other areas, we still see plenty of insurance companies and banks that are still in the market, albeit they are acting more cautiously from a standpoint of which deals they're going to underwrite, floors that they might put into place. What's going to happen going forward? The bad news, it's going to get worse before it gets better. The next 30 days or so are going to be extraordinarily challenging for our business, perhaps unprecedented. And we took a look at certain prior periods of time to try to come up with a comp. As recently as three weeks ago, we were looking at the SARS epidemic in 2003 as the comp. We no longer think that that's the correct comp. The comp is somewhere between the post events of the tech bubble slash 9-11 and the global financial crisis. And maybe for our industry, the immediate shock is worse than both because we have never seen a demand shock like we're seeing today where people are told to stay in place, not go outside, not go to restaurants. So the demand shock is extraordinary. Where is it hitting us the hardest? Hotels. Hotels, we had a forecast for 2020 as recently as a few weeks ago that we thought that RevPAR, revenue per available room, would be about flat for 2020. Our new forecast as of this morning is that we believe RevPAR will be down by 37% and in the second quarter will be down by 60%. We have seen a material fall off in traffic in retail in the areas that you would expect. Mall traffic has almost come to a halt. Many malls are closed. We have seen uh, restaurants, gyms, some of the experience retail that many retailers have replaced other forms of retail with close. So retail is getting hit hard in the areas you would expect. But there is a silver lining because some forms of retail, specifically grocery anchored and pharmaceutical anchored or pharmacy based, are showing great strength today and an increase in demand. Office. Office is the area that is going to have a short-term pause in much of the leasing activity because many people cannot make or will not make major decisions during this period of flux. But also there's a pragmatic problem on the capital market side, and this applies to all asset types, where people simply can't visit the assets, won't make a decision if they can't do that. And even if they can make a decision, many of the third-party reports that they might otherwise require, the third parties can't get there. And then the worst case scenario of all is we are aware of many jurisdictions where the recording offices are closed, so they may not even be able to close after all. Though I note that several of the major title companies in the United States are working around this issue right now to come up ways to record deals even on a temporary basis in the absence of the county recording office being open. Multifamily is likely to weather the storm better than most, better than everything except possibly industrial. And the reason being is that people need a place to live. The problem with multifamily right now is that multifamily demand for new class A space is going to fall off materially in the short term as people will not be making leasing decisions in their ordinary course. And this will impact specialty asset types even worse, notably student housing. If people aren't going to be starting school in September, not sure how they're going to fill their units. And then senior housing, of course, has gotten uh, very hit hard, hit very hard. Uh, because many of the uh, tragically impacted people by the coronavirus are in these senior centers. And if you take a look at the publicly traded prices of REITs uh, in the senior space, you'll see that uh, uh, hitting them particularly hard. Finally, in the industrial sector, we are seeing a softening of demand in uh, net absorption, uh, particularly around big box warehouse 
distribution centers associated with um, supply chain. We expect that to continue for some time until supply chains normalize. That's the bad news. The good news is because industrial is so strong, we only see a modest hit to rent, if any. And and those areas that are particularly strong, last mile and cold storage, uh, we see great strength in those areas and no rent decrease. In fact, probably a rent uh, increase. One last mention about current market conditions is construction. We are seeing a material slowdown in the ability to construct new buildings as some places like Boston, and I'm sure other jurisdictions will do so shortly, have stopped your ability to build construction, even those that are in process to keep uh, social distancing uh, at a maximum. We also have seen supply chain problems, and the supply chain problems started from China, where people couldn't get goods that they needed for their developments. Examples would be granite countertops and doorknobs and multifamily. But since then, people have shifted to American supply chains, which has slowed it down and made it more expensive. So where are we going? How long is this going to last and what is it going to mean for our business? Well, the best examples I can give you are the GFC, 9-11, and what's happening in China today. If you take a look at the examples of 9-11 and the GFC, you'll see that in the major asset classes, it took about two years for rents to get from peak to trough, and then about six years for rents to fully recover to their original level. Values rebounded more quickly in large part because of a decline in interest rates and declining inflationary assumptions. I think that last point is absolutely key here because we are likely to see a historically low interest rate environment indefinitely, not only because of major demographic shifts where we have an aging population, which keeps inflation down, but also because of the extraordinary monetary stimulus that we've put into the economy. So low interest rates will put a buffer to some degree on what we're going to see is materially declining fundamentals in several of the real estate asset classes over the next few months. So do we expect cap rates to expand in the next several quarters? We do, but much more modestly than otherwise because of the decline in interest rates. And we think it's going to be mostly limited to those asset classes that are most impacted. Regrettably, that's hotels and certain types of retail. So what's going to happen? I have personally been on the phone with the leaders of the ICSE and the Real Estate Roundtable, and many of my colleagues have been in direct contact with the federal government uh, officials and state government officials. A letter went out last night from the president of the ICSE to President Trump and to Speaker Pelosi asking for specific redress for the commercial real estate industry. And among the redress that we're talking about is both direct payments to employees in retail direct payments to landlords, not necessarily in the form of cash, but in terms of mortgage forbearance, direct payments otherwise to the retailers themselves so that they can stay in business during this unprecedented period of disruption. There are other things being talked about in terms of amortization changes to the way you do CapEx so people can get a tax refund from the government, delaying when people file their federal tax refunds uh, and otherwise. So that's what's happening today. The last thing I will mention is what's happening in China. And why is China relevant to this conversation? It's relevant because China started their crisis right around the end of the Chinese New Year, around January the 25th. It's been about six weeks since then. And the good news is that China has begun to recover materially in the areas that are relevant to the United States. They have started to recover in hotels, which cratered about a month into the crisis and have now begun to uh, do better again. 
retail. Over 80% of all shopping centers are now opened. Even uh, Starbucks, over 85% of all Starbucks are reopened. Uh, and we're seeing that industrial, over 81% of all industrial companies are open for business. And then e-commerce, which it's grounded to almost a complete halt, is now back to baseline, back to 100%. So if China is a good comp, what it leads me to believe is this, that even though the GFC and 9-11 are relevant comps, that I believe we can recover much more quickly because of what's happened in China and because of the massive monetary and fiscal stimulus that is coming our way. The government gets it, quote unquote, and I think that we're going to be in this for a very difficult period in the short term, but I believe by the end of the third quarter, we should be coming out of it, and the fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus provided by the government will give us rocket fuel into 2021. Well, thank you very much for that that really thorough overview. I appreciate it, Spencer. It's, I know it's not hard to give difficult news like that. You know, I, I need you didn't uh, pull any punches. You, you gave it to us straight. Um, there's a lot of a lot of follow up questions. That news out of China is encouraging. Um, I'm a little bit worried about a second wave, uh, but you know that's kind of outside of my expertise is understanding the medical science of it and whether a second wave is possible or or that's something that uh, we no longer need to fear as much. Um, Let's talk about a little bit of those sectors that you gave your overview, and that was really helpful. Um, let's talk about retail a little bit, because here we are, Apple, Nike, Urban Outfitters, Abercrombie & Fitch, the list goes on and on, have all shuttered their stores uh, for at least the next couple of weeks, if not 30 days. So I thought a couple of things about that is, um, you know, one, I think that letter from Tom McGee, the president of C of ICSC that you mentioned is really helpful about talking to about requesting mortgage relief. Cause you know, my fear is, is twofold with retail is one we're going to have, if stores have to shutter, then we're going to have mass bankruptcies, large scale bankruptcies, like we saw with uh, in 2008 through 2012 with circuit city linens and things, those types of examples. Um, and whether and if many stores go out of business, and as well as many mom and pop short stores uh, that don't have great online platforms to fall back on, you know, are we going to see a, a trickle down or or at least a, a domino effect where landlords can't pay their mortgages if the rents aren't coming in? So that request from Tom McGee and ICSC was critical. Uh, hopefully, it will be heard, and also just. I've, the past three years, we've been hearing about retail has sort of survived based on in the experience and bringing new experiences to the consumer in order to get consumers to the brick and mortar stores. But the real challenge to this situation is people aren't going for experiences. So, um, you know, just do you have any more comments on uh, retail specifically, that industry sector? Sure. So to the extent that there is a lighter side to what is a horrific situation, my colleague Henry Chin in China, who is based in uh, China, said something to me yesterday that stuck with me. And he said that he has been looking outside of his office, seeing photographs of people, not just in China, but in Hong Kong and in Singapore, lined up outside of both luxury stores and 
restaurants. And the reason is pent up demand for experience retail. And I think the moment that the restrictions are taken off, you will see exactly the same phenomena here in the United States. You will see a surge into those kind of places, particularly restaurants, where people say, we want to spend. We're confident in the government's approach to deal with the healthcare problem. And so I think this is a temporary, not a secular problem for experience retail. I still believe in the experience retail story shifting from goods-based to activity-based retail. I still believe in omni-channel using the internet and your bricks and mortar as a team rather than as competitors. So I do not believe there's been a secular shift. However, in the short term, there's been a complete shutdown, almost complete shutdown of experience retail. And that's going to be a challenge to get through this period of time. Now, I'm going to be a little negative here for a moment, but I'm saying this just point blank. Mm -hmm. Steve Mnuchin said on television yesterday that if we don't get in front of this, we could see unemployment rise to 20%. Wow. A lot of people poo-pooed it. I didn't. He's right. Because if we let all these retailers and hotels go down that disproportionately employ a tremendous number of workers, we could see that kind of cataclysmic result. I think we all saw what happened with Lehman Brothers in 2011 when people say, let it fail and the cataclysm which followed. Do not let that happen today. If there's any federal officials listening to this, I'm happy to come to you, speak to you immediately about this. Do not let that happen. Uh, but I think the good news is that the feds get it. Secretary Mnuchin gets it. President Trump gets it. Speaker Pelosi gets it. And we are going to have a bailout, the likes of which we have never seen, which will both give us a pillow for today and then rocket fuel for tomorrow. Yeah. No, I, th I think it would be a real shame if we let companies fail just because of this uh this rare occurrence rather than a systemic problem with their business. You know, I think in 2008 we had banks and financial companies or and real estate companies that had uh, weak businesses that were not, that couldn't tolerate a shift in, in prices not continuing to rise. And so there's problems with the, the business here, you know, you're having a hopefully one-time situation or a rare situation providing a shock. So it would be a real shame for a business to, for a massive business that's a massive employer of, of Americans and human beings across the world uh, to go under. Um, let's, you know, I, I really appreciate you sharing that data about that CBR has about CBRE has about deal flow and what you're seeing in terms of, the decrease in deals going right now. Can I ask you, why are lenders pulling back? Is it just out of fear right now? Or are they, do you have a sense that the deals that are getting pulled with lenders calling the material adverse change clause, is that because they're in their well, loans for industries that are going to get hit hard? Well, first of all, lenders can't be all painted by the same stripe. And there are some lenders that are structurally out of the money at this point because there are some lenders that are that will put deals on their warehouse lines and then go into the conduit market packaging them up. Well, in the time that they put them on their warehouse lines to the time they were planning on selling them into the bond market, 
spreads have expanded so much that they're unsaleable at the prices that they underwrote. So they essentially are out of dry powder. And this is because uh, they have too many lines on their warehouse line. It means that their warehouse capabilities are, or their cash ability to do new loans is closed. So that's that's one category of lender. And that's why we've seen particular distress or, or particular pullback within conduit lenders, CMBS lenders, and within the debt funds. But there are other types of lenders that have that dry powder. And that includes LifeCo's, most of the banks, and then of course, Fannie and Freddie. And my hat's off to the leaders of Fannie and Freddie as they always are, because these people are working hard. They're working overtime because there's a tremendous number of applications there today. So we are not just rooting for you, we thank you for what you're doing right now in terms of maintaining market liquidity within multifamily. But as it relates to those people that aren't structurally prohibited from lending, what you've seen is massive spread expansion across the credit spectrum. And because of that, you're in a period of what's known as price discovery. People don't know how to price deals. And if you don't know how to price deals, very difficult to put in a um, formal offer uh, for how you're going to fund it. I will say I am literally looking at my computer screen as we speak, and I can give you a dozen deals that are closing today that are going to be closing the next couple of days where the lenders gave an application last week and are honoring it. So there are more lenders that are in the market than are out, and they are still liquid, albeit they, some of them have gotten rid of floors and are being a little bit tighter in how they underwrite, but there's still plenty of liquidity in the debt capital markets. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't, me personally, I haven't had any deals fall through yet, knock on wood. So uh, that's a good sign. Uh, one thing I want to touch on is just your, your comment about asking for price adjustments um, and comparing that to prior times when people have asked for price adjustments. Are you, do you have a sense for if those price adjustments are being granted or if, uh, if people are just carrying on as you or people are just using this as an opportunity, you might as well ask for a price adjustment. Um, or is well, that sort of what's going on? I've been in this business for 25 years. And I, this is not to cast aspersions of any buyer, any borrower, any retailer, anybody else. This is not a pejorative statement. But in every one of those cycles, when we've seen distress, you see people coming back for price adjustments. And the question is whether or not they're going to be granted and to what degree. The two comp periods that I cited on this call were 2013 and 2017, where I actually studied it in connection with material interest rate spikes. And both of those situations had the same basic outcome, that there were about 10% of all deals during those material interest rate spikes that had actual retrades, and it may have been even much lower than that in, in one of the instances. And the scope of the retrade or the repricing was 3% or less on average for those that were repriced, so meaning less than 1% if you take a look at the overall pool of deals. And in each of those instances, we had looked at hundreds of transactions. So what's going to happen today? Are you going to see some repricing? You will, but nowhere is near than what the ask, nowhere is near the ask that we saw in the survey that we got yesterday. The ask in the survey that we got yesterday was something in the tune of 50% of the deals were asking for retrades. You will not see that. You're going to see a much smaller percentage. And the ask of the retrade, which probably averaged around 5% for the deals that we saw in the survey, will be much lower than that too. And the reason for that is that the intermediate and long-term prospects of real estate have not changed. It is just this short-term period of distress and a somewhat expanded cost of debt 
even though the loan const, even though the base rate has dropped, the loan constant may have gone up a bit because of floors, because of spread expansion. Nevertheless, the intermediate and long-term prospects of re- re- real estate have not changed, and they will uh, come back in force, uh, as I mentioned, by the late third, fourth quarter of this year, based upon our best guess. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I agree. I agree that the long-term fundamentals of real estate has not changed. There is one uh, category that I've been thinking about, and I haven't seen anyone else really banter this around, but uh, what do you think about co-working and WeWork? I mean, WeWork has already had a, a pretty serious change the past six months. Is the fact that we're all going to be working remotely for the next 30, 60 days, foreseeable future, are people, A, going to start when they get used to working at home and are they going to start to say, why am I paying for a co-working space when I'm already set up at home and have us be slow to go back to co-working spaces? Or B, are people going to be, because of social distancing and because COVID-19 may be in our world here for the foreseeable future, are people going to be a little, is there going to be less confidence to go to work with other people that you don't know in a, in a co-working environment? Do you see this impacting the co-working uh, niche at all. Well, Phil, the, wor- the word that you uh, I would use to describe what you're asking is secular. Is this a secular shift away from co-working, away from the densification that we had seen, not just in co-working space, but in all space altogether? I've been on the phone with more occupiers and investors in the last three days than perhaps I have in the last three years. That's an overstatement, but a lot. <laughs> And they're all thinking about these very same issues, particularly those people who are fitting out large blocks of space today. Are they going to continue to densify, meaning have the same smaller square footage per average employee than they had 10 years ago? Or are they going to start to expand that? Are we going to go back to offices rather than having these these large common areas? Short answer is I do not believe so. I think that the train has left the station. And while we are in the middle of a shock today, I think it's been proven enough that people are happier, you can attract and retain them, and they're more productive. And even though I hesitate to use the word productivity because it's so difficult to measure, but nevertheless, people are better working in a co an environment where they're working closely with their colleagues. And that is, no matter what the technology allows, and by the way, the technology has allowed you to work remotely for a decade or more, no matter what the technology permits, people will always be better working in the same environment. Will there be more flex work? Will there be more what we call fluid workspace? And fluid meaning the workspace is not just the four walls in the office. It could be the backseat of your car. If it's a self-driving car, it could be the Starbucks down the street. Yes, there's going to be more of that. But are we going to see people materially reducing their office demand for it? I don't believe that at all. And I think there's a strong future for co-working because I think that is a great environment for not only for the smaller shops that are looking to grow, but also for flex space for larger organizations as well. So I think it's much too early to make the secular shift argument uh, as, in the midst of this uh, in the midst of this crisis. Yeah, I agree with that as well. That was a great analysis. I mean, you spend ten seconds on my social media feeds, and you're going to see thirty other professionals uh, complaining about working from home um, and how much they. Yeah, I think we all didn't realize how much we liked going to the office until we couldn't anymore. Um, well, Spencer, um, you know, one other question I had for you is just the third party reports. Um, 
you mentioned that you thought that in terms of due diligence, we have varying levels of listeners out there. When people want to acquire a property, they send people out to do property condition assessments, environmental assessments, physical condition assessments, all sorts of different third-party reports. Are you saying that you think in the short term um, you're going to have trouble getting those deliverables uh, back in order in time to to meet your due diligence deadlines? The short answer is it's a major problem right now. Third parties, whether it be environmental engineering or whatever you need for building inspection, a very challenge to get people to the building. And then once you get them to the building, there are many tenants who are not giving you access to space uh, for, for very appropriate reasons. And I'm not casting aspersions at tenants, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're also having problems with recording offices. As a lawyer, you'll understand what uh, the challenges are if you can't record a mortgage or you can't record uh, a deed. Um, mm-hmm. But there are many title companies that are working on us and CBRE is working on this. We are working on this with respect to new technological solutions to allow people to do virtual property tours. Uh, I did a, a, I had a discussion two weeks ago when I was in Toronto, Canada, which was my last, uh, probably my last trip for some time. And I was sitting with a colleague of mine who's selling a $4 billion asset in Singapore. It's an international environment that requires uh, international coordination. They were doing a virtual property tour using all new technological tools. I think those tools are going to advance. I think the use of Zoom and other technologies is going to advance. So I think we're going to be in a better place when we come out of this thing from the ability to be able to do things virtually. Now, I would say the virtual underwriting element was already accelerating. I met with the CEO of one of the largest investors in Canada three weeks ago. And in the conversation, I asked him, how much do you go kick the bricks when you see an asset? And he goes, not as much as I used to because they have 80 in-house models that can forecast the performance of a market with 95% accuracy. And so he said that he is so confident in his modeling and his technology that he is not uh, doesn't have to go there as much as he did. So I think two things are coming together here. One is this terrible incident today is going to make people better at third-party due diligence. The second, which was already under way is, is what I might call the, quote, rise of the machines. Uh, and in fact, this is not to advertise, but I will advertise for a second. We have a report coming out. CBRE has a report coming out uh, literally today uh, called the Age of Responsive Real Estate. And two of the sections in that report, one is called the rise of the machines, which talks about how you underwrite real estate today and how it's changing and how you could do it remotely. And the second element of it, of the 10 elements, is called the fluid workspace, is how people are going to be working more remotely moving forward or more diverse types of workplaces moving forward and how that's going to impact real estate decisions over the next 10 years. So many of the terrible things that are happening today may have accelerated those two and perhaps other trends. That's great, Spencer. Is that report going to be publicly available? It's publicly available, and uh, I said today, I believe it's today. It was supposed to launch today. We've, we've held off because of the uh, terrible situation, but if it's delayed, uh, sh- anybody can shoot me a note, go on CBRE's website. This will be out imminently. All right. Well, if it's out by the time I post this, I might put a link to it in our show notes. Um, and also, CBRE's been a proponent of the fluid workspace and the different workspace getting away from the traditional model workspaces. One of the leaders of it, in my mind, um, their Chicago office is pretty amazing, actually, in terms of changing tr- the way people go to the office. Um, I know we only have a few more minutes here with you, Spencer, so I'll get you out of here really quick. And lastly, just kind of 
Um, senior housing. I know you know you mentioned that on the call, but Ventus Retail Properties of America those those stock prices and those REITs have just been uh, hammered over the past few days. You know, do you want to speak to that market a little bit? Sure. So, first of all, Ventus is a fine company. I was a banker many moons ago, and they have great leadership. It's a great company. It's, it's unfortunate what's happened to them, as has happened to several other folks in their sector. And the reason why senior housing was disproportionately impacted was because tragically, many of the folks that are most susceptible uh, to the current uh, coronavirus are, are elderly and they live in these places. And so that's, to me, why there has been this massive short-term reaction to those types of stocks in that space. But they did have another issue that was happening to them prior um, to the uh, coronavirus, which is there's been a, a shortage of labor. Uh, for the people that have to provide services in these uh, senior housing facilities, and they've gotten more expensive. So uh, prior to the, the virus, they had uh, labor and cost issues as well. So uh, the virus uh, may have been a little bit of a double whammy, though I do believe that uh, this too shall pass. They will recover. There's still a tremendous need for high-quality senior housing, and uh, I think that's not going to change because of this. All right, Spencer. Well, we, we really appreciate your time. Um, we appreciate you coming on. I know you're extremely busy right now uh, with everything that's going on. And we just want to say thank you for, for coming on and sharing your thoughts. Well, thank you for having me. Um, uh, and we, uh, on a um, human level, we're very concerned about our fellow citizens. And uh, that's where my number one concern lies. But number two, for our industry, Keep your chin up, folks. This too shall pass. We believe that we'll come back out of this late this year better than ever. Um, and uh, the market is open. The market is liquid. And let's keep rolling. Nah, thanks for the encouraging words. We appreciate it. Thank you, Phil. This publication is intended for general information purposes only and does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. The listener should consult with legal counsel to determine how laws or decisions discussed herein apply to the listener's specific circumstances. 